The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. No one should be in any doubt. There is a tidal wave of Omicron coming. And I'm afraid it is now clear that two doses of vaccine are simply not enough to give the level of protection we all need. That's the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson issuing a stark warning over the Omicron variant and offering booster jabs to all adults in England from this week. Elsewhere, US inflation spikes to its highest level since 1982, back when a gallon of gas uh, cost just 91 cents. But the CEO of Abu Dhabi's Sovereign Wealth Fund tells CNBC he's still backing America. I take a long-term view on the United States and I, have a, I continue to have a positive bullish view on the US market. Uh, a Madrid court orders Santander to pay the Unicredit boss Andrea Orsel 68 million euros over its withdrawn offer to be CEO in 2018. And scores of people are thought to have been killed as a cluster of tornadoes rampages through at least six US states. Right, a lot of stocks, as you know, and good morning to you all, by the way, have, have had a, a fantastic 2021. One of those stocks isn't Credit Suisse, which year-to-date is down circa 23%, underperforming a whole host of its peers uh, and trading on a price-to-book level uh, around about half the industry median, down at 047 price to book. But they are announcing now um, some updated uh, membership of the executive committee, uh, announcing appointments to the executive board in line with a new strategy, new board of directors leadership appointments to enhance the governance of subsidiary boards. They are appointing Francesco De Ferrari as the CEO of the Wealth Management Division. Uh, he will join the executive board of Credit Suisse effective the 1st of January, reporting to Thomas Gottstein, the chief executive officer. Uh, the Ferrari has also been appointed as ad uh, interim CEO of Europe, Middle East and Africa. Uh, they're also saying that Christian Meissner, the CEO of the investment banking division, has been appointed as CEO of the Americas uh, region as well. And those look like the uh, key points there. Of course, internal audit. This was an area that came into big focus over at Credit Suisse, over Arkegos. Well, Mark Hannum has been named as the head of internal audit. Credit Suisse shares, as I mentioned, a huge underperformer versus their peers in 2021. Right, so back to the top story. The UK has moved to COVID-19 alert level four. Apparently that's the second highest after medical chiefs warned that the Omicron variant is spreading much faster than Delta, whilst vaccines offer a reduced level of protection against it. Social distancing measures have been resumed and health services are bracing for a potential jump in hospitalizations. Well, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson warned of a, quote, tidal wave of infections and urged people to book booster jabs, which will be offered to all adults by the end of the month. Our scientists are confident that with a third dose, a, a booster dose, we can all bring our level of protection back up. I know there will be some people watching who will be asking, 
whether Omicron is less severe than previous variants and whether we really need to go out and get that booster. And the answer is yes, we do. Do not make the mistake of thinking Omicron can't hurt you, can't make you and your loved ones seriously ill. We've already seen hospitalizations doubling in a week in South Africa, and we have patients with Omicron in hospital here in the UK right now. Meanwhile, a group of Israeli scientists have concluded that three shots of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine help protect against Omicron. The director of infectious diseases at Sheba Medical Center said its real-world study concluded that boosters increase protection against Omicron, quote, a hundredfold. Meanwhile, a South African study found a two-shot course of the Pfizer vaccine has just a 23% efficacy versus Omicron. The findings follow a report by the UK's health security agency saying boosters were up to 75% effective. Meanwhile, White House medical advisor Dr Anthony Fauci says booster jabs offer, quote, optimal care amid the current COVID wave. The push for a third jab comes as the Omicron variant has now been identified in over 25 US states with some beginning to reintroduce restrictions. New York will implement a statewide mask mandate in public places from today, unless a vaccine pass is shown. US inflation, meanwhile, in November, surged to its highest annual rate in almost 40 years, hitting 6.8%, ramping up pressure on the Fed to tighten its monetary policy sooner rather than later. Rising energy prices have fueled much of the rise in consumer prices, with the energy index up 33% year-on-year. Gasoline prices up almost 60%. Elsewhere, autos, food and shelter costs contributed to the highest yearly figure since 1982. Well, speaking to our colleagues stateside, the White House's director for the National Economics Council said the government is not too concerned with the year-on-year surge in CPI following last year's lockdown, but did add it still can be looking at how it can ease the inflationary burden. Prices are high and uh, we are very focused on that issue. Uh, we are focused principally on the month-to-month movements because if you compare to a year ago, uh, we're comparing to an economy that was in shutdown. And in November, we saw some modest easing from the prior month. And if you look under the headline, about half of that was driven by energy and cars. Those are both areas where we've seen some easing uh, in the weeks since, notably on energy, we're seeing gas prices down a bit nationally, natural gas prices down 25% from November. So, uh, so that, is, um, that, that is something to take note of. But we here are very focused on what more we can do to try to address the price issues uh, that Americans are facing. Right, but let's take a look at the US markets. And there is an enormous divergence between uh, smaller mid caps and indeed what we're seeing at the largest companies, so much so that the S&P 500 has now registered its 66th record high of 2021. That record high occurred in Friday's session. It was a huge week for US equities and other products as well, with the Dow rallying 4%. 
percent up 216 points as you can see on friday but four percent higher for the week the s p was up 3.8 percent for once the nasdaq the laggard perhaps has a slight bit of interest rate concerns there and what a faster taper and potential rate hikes uh, next year will mean uh, for technology stocks that was up 3.6 percent for the week incidentally still 3.6 percent off its record high every single sector was up last week uh, technology put on six percent to the upside and yet and yet the treasuries and the yield curve did not pick up aggressively. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, before we had talk of taper, before we had talk of up to up to two or three hikes uh, in 2022, we saw a yield earlier in the year around about March of 1.76% for your 10-year paper. Even after the sell-off in bonds last week, and it was a minor sell-off from a 1.38 handle, I think, on the 10-year to 1.49%. Even after that, we still see dramatically lower yields uh, on your fixed income. And that may be a, a part of, of the growth concerns rather than inflation fears of 2022. Uh, let's have a look at the dollar crosses. The dollar actually didn't do too much in terms of the dollar index last week. Friday, it was down 0.2 of 1%. For the week to date, it was flat. But as you can see, trading at elevated levels versus sterling, 132.50 is where that is trading. Uh, Euro is trading 112.94. Again, growth concerns and about when we're going to get lift off in Europe as well. Uh, but one thing we haven't mentioned a lot today, and that is that we're going to get an awful lot of central bank action this week from the uh, Fed, of course, the last meeting of the year on Wednesday. We'll get the results of that. Plus, we'll get the SEP, which is the, um, the, the, the economic projections dot plot, so to speak, as well. Uh, that's the summary of economic proje uh, projections there. Bank of England and indeed, what's the ECB going to do about tapering? People talking about a dovish transition on the tapering there. That doesn't sound too aggressive, does it, from Madame Lagarde's group there. So we are seeing the dollar yen in the meantime. Uh, dollar yen, 113.48. Dollar yuan, 6.36. Asian indices look like this. Uh, the Nikkei up 200 points. Mixed data uh, out of, um, it was a bank survey, central bank survey on services and manufacturing outlook and services. Uh, much higher, much improved to a two-year high. But manufacturing concerns, Ray, raw material costs, uh, keeping um, the manufacturing component there under a degree of pressure. Let's have a look at the opening calls for the European markets. Uh, the FTSE called up 17 points, the Zetradac 61, 32 higher for the CAC 40, and the FTSE MIB seen up 122 points. So G7 finance ministers holding a virtual meeting today where the recent price spikes are expected to be a key focus. Inflation in the euro area and the UK has surged in recent months with the latest readings coming in at 4.9% and 4.2% respectively. Well, Ben Emmons is Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors and is up nice and early for us, or nice and late, depending on where you are, Ben. Nice to see you today. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, look, I've spoken a lot in the last five minutes about inflation, temporary or otherwise. What do we expect the central banks to do this week? Good morning. Thank you for having us. Um, well, we can expect some communication related to inflation because it does sound that not only the Federal Reserve, but also the ECB and Bank of England are serious about tackling inflation in the coming year. I think in the case of the Federal Reserve, we can expect much more about their projections shifting, you know, particularly as it relates to interest rates. Whereas in, in your case, the Bank of England, the communication has been somewhat challenged and again challenged by your developments on Omicron and how it may impact the UK economy. 
But apart from all of that, inflation is an issue. So I do think that central banks will be quite stern on inflation in the coming week. Uh, ben, um, I'm, I knew you're of a vintage, probably quite similar to me. So you were around in 1982. In 1982, according to my team, who have put together some stats here. The interest rates at the end of the year at the Federal Reserve were 11.5%. Um, does the Federal Reserve need to be more aggressive on hiking rates in 2022? So, so far, the market has said that the liftoff should happen but the Fed funds rate can only go up to about something like one and a half percent, which is like a percentage point below what the Fed actually forecasts as their long term Fed funds rate, which is about two and a half percent. So that is in somewhat of a benign uh, outlook, if you will, whereas in the Federal Reserve, although as indicated, they want to perhaps taper those purchases down faster. And there's been voices on the Federal Reserve that say, like, we should start thinking of liftoff sometime next year. It doesn't indicate there's going to be any faster path than that at this point. Now, to your question, should they do this faster? That, I think, really depends upon the acceleration of inflation into the first quarter, because so far this has all been driven by the reopening of the economy, which turned out to be much more resilient and stronger than anyone anticipated, which at some point also should see inflation somewhat abate. So I think this is where the Federal Reserve currently is and where the markets are. You must start with liftoff. But to be too aggressive may not be the right thing to do at this point. But the US especially, Ben, is going to get such an enormous amount of stimulus from various programs coming out of the federal government. And if Mr Biden has his way, there'll be trillions more on the way as well uh, in terms of money being flooded into the US economy. Surely this is going to create more inflationary pressure. So this all becomes very political at some stage. It already has, I think, if you, if you follow the comments by Senator Manchin, who has been working quite diligently the entire year to windle down the total package that was initially, as you indicate, something closer to four to five trillion of total stimulus, that the initial package that is probably coming at some point in, in the foreseeable future of less than two trillion, or maybe even down to one and a half trillion, was all based upon that too much stimulus is too good of a, of a thing it would be pushing up inflation too much from where we are already. And that, I think, is a point of political point, as you mentioned, as opposed to the economic side of it, that, well, we do have a, an ailing infrastructure uh, here in the United States. We do need more investment and we do need to have a better allocation of productivity across, across the economy. So the trade-offs here, I think, against picture of inflation, so I think the political aspects are, yes, this is the narrative and that's what people are looking at. Ultimately, I think the fiscal stimulus that we're going to get will be very infrastructure driven with an aim on investment. That probably is not going to be as inflationary as people think. Um, what should our viewers do in the markets this week? We've got this wealth of data. We've got retail sales as well, Ben. Uh, what is the smartest thing that our viewers can be doing at the moment? So one thing is to stay invested in the market. I don't think you should be bearing back in any way because as much as that we have another variant and it will somewhat slow down the economy or economies, it's, I don't think, leading to a major shutdown of, of anything. So the recovery is continuing. So I think you should continue to stay invested. Secondly, yes, inflation is an issue and you should position accordingly. So in inflation-linked securities or looking maybe in some areas like emerging markets where interest rates are much higher and they're combating inflation faster, maybe interesting opportunities to look at this point. 
Are the emerging markets um, dealing with this threat, with the higher rates as well? I mean, obviously, it's a very sketchy performance. Certainly, I know the Turkish central bank is, uh, very interestingly, enterprisingly moving in the opposite direction. But do you actually think that, as a rule, emerging markets have got a grip on this? I think the case, for example, of, of you looking at Brazil or Mexico, those central banks have moved much more substantially ahead of the Federal Reserve and a far more aggressive tightening campaign that starts to slowly bear fruit as we speak. You know, in Brazil, for example, inflation is coming slowly off. It's really high. So it does show that eventually you get that inflation rate under control. Also, what's important, I think, is that the currencies in these countries have not substantially weakened any further in part because of this of this aggressive tightening campaign that too i think helps at some point moderate inflation in these countries so i think those are examples of where yes central banks are credible and ahead of the curve perhaps whereas in our case in the, in the developed markets we're dealing maybe still with a behind the curve situation so that's why i think emerging markets at this point look at attractive uh, and Ben, just a final question, really. Omicron, it's dominating headlines and it dominated the market fall we saw a week and a half ago as well. Um, what, what are you reading that and how we put this into portfolios now? Because, of course, interest rates, the most dominant factor in, in traditional thinking. But now Omicron, yes, it appears to be highly transmissible, real concerns about the efficacy of the vaccines. But at the moment, again, there is a bit of evidence saying that hospitalizations haven't picked up a how do our viewers even think about putting this scenario and this story uh, into their thinking? Yeah, as you mentioned, hospitalizations is where markets connect to shutdown and disruption of the economy, right? Because if you get an overloaded healthcare system, we have to slow down economic activity to get that issue under control. And that's no longer the case because as much as vaccine efficacy is lower and, and tested in this particular case, it's not zero and the, the vaccines do work. So I think markets should continue to trade on as limited disruption of the economy as it is. And I think that's what you should reflect in your portfolio, meaning more cyclical positions, more positions about the reopening. On the other hand, we do have to keep in mind that Omicron is serious and that it could affect confidence and could cause some uncertainty and could also, again, put more pressure on the supply chain globally, which do, as we know now, perk up inflation. So I think for that reason, particularly developed markets, they may indeed deal with the stickier inflation. So you should reflect that in your portfolio as well by having more inflation protection. All right, Ben, that's great. What were you doing in 1982? Can you remember? <laughs> I was like uh, about uh, 10, 12 years old or so. I remember inflation, <laughs> but I was, uh, you know, just becoming a teenager. So I, uh, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I was a similar vintage. I remember as well, uh, 1982. Goodness me. Uh, thanks very much indeed for that, Ben. Ben Emmons, uh, who is the Managing Director, Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisor. Yeah, the producers who are so lackluster on many things got very excited about this. Uh, and so give me a whole wealth of data about 1982. Um, Bank of England rates by the end of the year? 10% yearly inflation was 8.6. Apparently, Michael Jackson's thriller came out. Uh, it was also known for the 14-minute-long horror-themed music video. We've all seen that too many times, haven't we? AT&T was ordered to break up. Uh, the Monopoly was uh, ordered to break up in January 1982. Whatever. Well, less exciting, I guess, for many. Um, the Argentinians invaded the Malvinas or the Falklands. 
What else was happening? Late Night Show, first episode with David Letterman, February 1982. I mention this, of course, because if you missed the start of the segment, uh, we haven't seen inflation uh, as high as it is in the US since 1982. Thanks, John, for all those stats. Let us move on. Uh, I mentioned actually the interview with uh, Ben there. It's a big week for central banks across the globe as they hold monetary policy meetings and review pandemic support measures, all as the Omicron variant hangs over their heads. At its two-day meeting starting on Tuesday, the Fed will discuss its taper plans. And I think the key point here with the Fed, isn't it, is the summary of economic projections as well and how. And we know that policymakers are going to be moving forward when they think uh, their first rate hikes are going to be, potentially. But later in the week, the ECB will review its asset purchase plans. The Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, the Norge Bank and the Swiss and Turkey's. Well, I mean, the biggest fund's got to be the Turkish Central Bank. What on earth will they be doing? I had a quick look at the lira versus the dollar, still trading pretty much at its uh, uh, lows of the year, 13.8. Turkish Central Bank also debating rates and monetary policy in the days ahead. And of course, the, uh, the Turks... Uh, well, the central bank or the president think that we should lower rates in order to or tame inflation. It's a strange one, but there you go. The CEO of the UAE's uh, Mubadala investment company, uh, Khaldun Al-Mubarak, uh, is not too worried about inflation in the long term. Speaking to CNBC's Hadley Gamble, Mubarak Al-Mubarak, I should say, said current price pressures are not affecting his investment strategy. Listen, when you're a long-term investor like us, I think these challenges, interest rates, inflation, uh, cycles, uh, energy cycles, semiconductor cycles, they come with the territory. You know, we, we were designed to, uh, to You think it's transitory, the inflation? It's transitory. It's absolutely transitory. I take a long-term view on the United States, and I, have a, I continue to have a positive bullish view on the U.S. market. The Mubadala CEO took no sides when it came to tensions between the US and China, but says the issues are not insignificant. It is in the interest of everyone to have a global integrated economy. That's served us well in the past and I think will help in the future, not just the United States, but I would say every country around the world. So I think I am personally uh, of a view that the issues we're seeing today are, are quite substantial, particularly between uh, some countries, the United States and China here specifically. But I think they're not issues that are insurmountable. When I look at it in the context, and you've asked me that question as a business uh, leader, I see it very plain vanilla from my perspective. Uh, the United States is the world's largest economy. China is the second largest economy. For now. For now, and in, in a matter of time, China will be the largest economy. You know, is it five years? Is it 10 years? Is it 20 years? People will take different views, but it will happen at some point. In today's lens, these are the two largest economies in the world. And for any investor, for any business leader, and for any supplier of anything, having access to these markets, to these two markets particularly, but having open access, I think, is very, very important. So anything that helps maintain a, uh, an environment that allows that access and allows uh, companies and of course countries to benefit from open trade I think this is conducive for growth yeah. so back to me we're, all, we're, we're, we're as a country here in the UAE uh, a country built on uh, commerce, trade, growth that's what we're all about uh, we trade 
with East, we trade with West, North, South, we trade with everyone. That's what's been the foundation of success for the UAE over the last 50 years. And when you look at the next 50 years, if anything, we're doubling down and tripling down on that. And to do so, we have to continue to grow with the West, the United States, Europe, uh, South America. We have to also double down on the East. These are incredible economies. China, India, Japan, Korea, very important markets. Markets that we've had, I would say, exceptional relationships over the last 15 years, 50 years, and relationships that we want to grow. So we want to be in that middle. It's a good position for us to be in the middle, and it's a good position for us to continue to be an objective, uh, commercially conducive uh, investor, investment location, but also investor yeah. in, an, in, in this growth story. So coming up on the show, U.S.-Russia relations turn increasingly icy as the G7 issues a stark warning. And for more on the U.S.'s inflation throwback to the year of Michael Jackson's thriller, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. President Biden is set to hold more talks with his Russian counterpart as tensions rise over a buildup of Russian troops on the Ukrainian border. Mr. Biden has warned President Putin that Russia will pay a, quote, terrible price if it invades Ukraine. In response, uh, Putin has demanded guarantees that NATO will not expand further to the east. Uh, the crisis dominated conversation at the G7 meeting in Liverpool this weekend, where UK Foreign Secretary Liz Truss accused Russia and China of seeking to, quote, undermine liberty. The Israeli uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett is in the UAE on what the... Uh, and what is the first official visit by the Israeli leader to the country? It comes at a time of high tensions in the region amid talks to resuscitate the Iranian nuclear deal. Well, Dan joins us from Abu Dhabi, where he has plenty more detail. Good morning to you, Dan. Hi there, Steve. Well, Naftali Bennett is indeed making history today. As you say, this is the first official visit for him as Prime Minister to the UAE, but also the first time we have ever seen an Israeli leader on official business in the country after the signing of the Abraham Accords last year. You'll recall that the former Israeli leader Benjamin Netanyahu wanted to come out to do a victory lap after the signing of the Abraham Accords and, of course, in the midst of the Israeli election. But those stars did not align. So instead, Naftali Bennett gets a turn to make history. As you can see there, he met with the UAE's de facto leader, uh, Sheikh uh, Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayan, getting off the aircraft there. And there really is three core focuses of this visit. The first is going to be, of course, improving optics in the Gulf. 
strengthening ties with those countries that are signatories to the Abraham Accords after a very turbulent period in Israel that has seen clashes between Israelis and Palestinians over the past few months. Secondly, he's also going to be looking to enhance business opportunities here as well in areas like trade, in health, uh, and of course, energy. Since the signing of the Abraham Accords, we have seen significant business deals being done between the UAE and Israel, dozens of memorandums of understanding being signed as well. So really opening up markets on both sides. But I would say the most important thing to be looking at here is progress on the Iran nuclear deal, because those talks are getting back underway. We know the US has been perhaps looking to heal some long-running differences that it has with Israel over how to proceed here. Those talks now entering a seventh round of negotiations in Vienna. The Iranians continuing to drag their feet on those talks and perhaps, at least according to the United States, asking for too much. Israel has long opposed the JCPOA and the UAE is, of course, stuck in the middle looking to attempt to try and keep the region stable as a result and uh, perhaps also just looking to continue to grow economically here. So exactly how these three players, the US, Israel and the UAE can square off on Iran is going to be a key focus of the Israeli leaders visit here. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.